Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode one, you guys. So I have been playing with the idea of a podcast for a while now, but I didn't want to jump onto the podcasting bandwagon until I had something that I was really excited to offer. So here we are. I am really excited about this. I wanted to start with just a little bit of background in case you're new to me and what I teach. So about a year ago, I started developing a method I use with my coaching clients called the Say the Word Method. And it uses a specific journaling approach to dig into the language skills that we use to relate to ourselves, to each other, to tell our stories, to explore our worlds, and ultimately to develop our curiosity skills. Now, I know that curiosity can be this buzzword, right? Um, More than one person has 100% rolled their eyes when I have said that that's what I work with people on. But the thing is, is that it's not a buzzword. It is curiosity. Curiosity is an essential foundational skill. It is at the very heart of how we move away from judgment and into real learning, empathy, and into forward motion. Curiosity is the heart of resilience because it invites exploration and it is nearly impossible, right? Impossible to stay curious and explore while also holding fast to judgment, right? So ultimately judgment, right, of one sort or another is what so often keeps us down when we're faced with obstacles or challenges or what we perceive as failure. So leaning into curiosity is what it often looks like when we get up, when we wipe ourselves off and we hop back into that ring. So I could talk all day about why curiosity is absolutely friggin' foundational to living that rich and fulfilling life. But since this is only episode one, I will exercise some restraint and leave it there for now. But it is critical to realize that like all skills, there are tools to help us develop, grow, and hone our curiosity and language is one of those tools. So here on the Say the Word podcast, we are going to be looking at how language is used in literature and memoir and poetry and nonfiction, novels, you name it. We are going to look at how these writers have utilized language to capture some piece of their experience of being human, of moving through this world with their own unique perspective. 
Now, sometimes, like in today's selection, it'll be straightforward. It'll be a personal essay or memoir or a slice of nonfiction where the writer is talking quite literally of their personal experience. At other times, we're going to see the author's views through the eyes of their characters and the settings that they put them in. But stories and language are how we grapple with the unknowable as well as the knowable, how we pull on someone else's skin for a moment and get a glimpse of the world as they see it, as they experience it. What a beautiful gift. What a tremendously, intensely beautiful gift to have libraries around the world full of the language of so many different people from so many different places and walks of life that we can share. What a place to look for our common humanity as we lean on each other's words and each other's language to better understand our own emotions, our own experiences, our desires, our beliefs, and ultimately our lives. So each episode, I will read a passage and discuss how it connects us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich and meaningful lives that we were always meant to be living. Oh, a quick disclaimer. I I am not a literary critic, and I have zero interest in becoming one. I'm not here to break down these writers' craft. The passages that I read here on the podcast simply captured something that I found powerful and connective, and I wanted to share with you in case you feel the same way. So let's get into today's reading. I have pulled this from the very first essay in Brian Doyle's collection of essays called One Long River of Song. You guys. All right. I will warn you now that I can get super gushy about books I love, like kind of ridiculous. Um, This goes beyond that, like way beyond that. Um, It was put together after Brian Doyle died from brain cancer in 2017, and this collection is moving and funny and powerful and irreverent and just exquisitely full of life. I truly cannot recommend it strongly enough, and this will definitely not be the only episode featuring his words, like guaranteed. So without further ado, the final two paragraphs from his essay entitled Oyas Voladoras. Mammals and birds have hearts with four chambers. Reptiles and turtles have hearts with three chambers. Fish have hearts with two chambers. Insects and mollusks have hearts with one chamber. Worms have hearts with one chamber, although they may have as many as 11 single-chambered hearts. Unicellular bacteria have no hearts at all, but even they have fluid eternally in motion, washing from one side of the cell to the other, swirling and whirling. No living being is without interior liquid motion. We all turn inside. So much held in a heart in a lifetime. So much held in a heart in a day, an hour, a moment. We are utterly open with no one in the end. Not mother and father, not wife or husband, not lover, not child, not friend. We open windows to each, but we live alone in the house of the heart. Perhaps we must. 
Perhaps we could not bear to be so naked for fear of a constantly harrowed heart. When young, we think there will come one person who will savor and sustain us always. When we are older, we know this is the dream of a child, that all hearts finally are bruised and scarred, scored and torn, repaired by time and will, patched by force of character, yet fragile and rickety forevermore, no matter how ferocious the defense and how many bricks you bring to the wall. You can brick up your heart as stout and tight and hard and cold and impregnable as you possibly can, and down it comes in an instant, filled by a woman's second glance, a child's apple breath, the shatter of glass in the road, the words, I have something to tell you, a cat with a broken spine dragging itself into the forest to die, the brush of your mother's papery ancient hand in the thicket of your hair, the memory of your father's voice early in the morning echoing from the kitchen where he is making pancakes for his children. These words frigging wreck me every single time I read them. There are, there are two aspects of this that I want to dig into here. First, the lines, we are utterly open with no one in the end. And we open windows to each, but we live alone in the house of the heart. In this, he captures this idea that no one no matter how close they may be to us, can see all of what we carry within us, nor can we see into all of them. And it's, as he said in the final two sentences of the first paragraph I read, no living being is without interior liquid motion. We all turn inside. And no matter what we think we know about another, they are ultimately living alone in the house of their own hearts as we're living in ours. Allowing for that fact allows us to recall the vast and the complex web of experiences and memories and fragments and thoughts, beliefs, teachings, all the relationships contained within every single human that We all have layers and depths that color our worlds, whether we fully grasp their existence or not. When we can marvel at that complexity, when we can marvel at the utterly unique alchemy that makes up the fullness of each person, all that we may never see or grasp of another's interior liquid motion, of what it is to live in the house of their heart, the more visible we allow them to become because we can be interested, we can be curious about them. No matter how long we've known them, no matter how much we think we've seen, we can rest assured that there is more. There's more to learn, there's more to see, there's more to enjoy and explore. My husband, Justin, and I have been together for nearly 18 years now. And when I think of this, of this idea that he lives alone in the house of his own heart, it's funny because I have kind of this choice, right? On the one hand, I might hear that and think, well, I feel excluded or like I've been somehow locked out of his heart house, right? Or, or I can remember that we all are in alone in the house of our hearts and I can feel honored 
that he's thrown open this enormous window to me and also wonderfully intrigued to realize that we can spend a lifetime together, the decades to come, and that there's always more to learn about him, more to be surprised and delighted by, that there will be moments that are buried deep in his memory that he'll recall and he'll share at, I don't know, the scent of lilac or a song on the radio. What a gift. When approached with interest and curiosity to know that I can wake up to my partner every day for decades and within him still lies a beautiful mystery that I get to be party to, that I've been offered a window into. You can see how powerful this is, right? In both our intimate relationships and also with the strangers that we brush up against in our daily lives. We all turn inside. The woman ahead of us in line at the grocery store or, you know, the one bringing up our purchases, they turn inside. They live alone in the house of their hearts. Um, the politicians that we watch on the news, the activists that we applaud, the writers of our books and the walkers of our dogs and the cleaners of our streets, they all turn inside. They all live alone in the houses of their hearts. Whether we get glimpses through their windows or they're shuttered up tight, that truth still remains, that we all churn inside, that ultimately we all live alone in the house of the heart and we are utterly open with no one in the end. So maybe let's give each other some space and some grace because we never know the whole story. And instead of judgment, let's savor the opportunity that we have in every type of relationship to learn more about who it is that's standing before us. So second, where he says, you can brick up your heart as stout and tight and hard and cold and impregnable as you possibly can, and down it comes in an instant. And then he proceeds to list all these moments of heartbreak. What I love here is that his moments of heartbreak are such different types. So he has a woman's glance, a child's apple breath. And those are moments of connection with so much life, life, right? Hidden right there in the mundane and how we catch those moments by their tails when we see and we notice them and we hold them for just that tiny second that we can. They're almost too beautiful to bear in part for their fleetingness and in part because they call to some core, raw, essential part of our souls, the part that is made for beauty, that's made for connection, that knows that there are some moments that we are most fully alive, that those are those moments and that it's an exquisite sort of heartbreak, right? But then he also has the shatter of glass in the road, the words, I have something to tell you, and the heartbreak that comes from our worlds being flipped on their heads, the pain of having some part of the ground that we have built our lives on 
ripped out from under us. And that's acute heartbreak. That is the pain that steals our breath, that shoves us outside of ourselves, that shakes the very foundations of everything we think we know or believe or can count on in life. He has a cat with a broken spine dragging itself into the forest to die. Uh, That unique heartbreak of bearing witness to another suffering, of feeling powerless in the face of illness or injury or injustice. And he finishes with that aching, bittersweet heartbreak of something wonderful or precious coming to an end. He says, the brush of your mother's papery ancient hand in the thicket of your hair, the memory of your father's voice early in the morning echoing from the kitchen where he's making pancakes for his children. This one's such a complicated heartbreak, right? It's wound like a thread around all the others that we mention here. The poignancy of those beautiful moments, right, and the pain of their loss, the anticipation of their loss, or bearing witness to their decline, it is that bare, raw truth of time passing, of time giving and taking and then giving and taking and what that looks and feels like. And I love how he points out that we can try with all of our might to protect ourselves against these heartbreaks, to brick up our hearts, but ultimately, always, it's futile, right? Something always gets in, something always finds the crack that will send it all tumbling to the ground. And what I found myself thinking about is how if I build my brick wall in hopes of keeping out the devastating pain, the shattered glass on the road, it's still going to be sent crumbling at some point. But while it stands, it's likely that I'll have missed being brought to my knees by the beauty, right? By, I don't know, like the dawn, sun streaming across Yosemite Valley or, you know, the, the wonder that lights up my infant nephew's face when he discovers that clapping his hands together makes a sound. I'll miss the miracle of that opened window into my husband's heart house or the intensity of my dearest friends listening when I come to her with some dilemma or another. Ultimately, the brick walls crumble, always, felled in an instant, he says, an instant of heartbreak, be it beauty or pain or bittersweet memory. So... Perhaps we don't need to spend quite so much time and energy building them. Maybe we could spend that time and energy getting to know the houses of our own hearts and exploring the windows thrown open to us. Perhaps we could marvel at the churning insides, that liquid interior motion of the people that cross our paths, our own. And maybe we could allow curiosity to live next to our heartbreak. Let it invite us into all the ways that heartbreak connects us to ourselves, to others, to a richer and more fully lived life. To stay curious with our heartbreak is how we stay with our heartbreak, how we don't turn away or numb ourselves from it. It's the path into feeling it. 
When we hear that advice to stay with our feelings, this is what it looks like. It looks like this openness of asking, the gentle prodding at its edges, the, the exploration of what exactly is washing from one side of the cell to the other, what our own interior liquid motion looks like. So again, this excerpt was from the essay uh, Hoyas Voladores from Brian Doyle's collection called One Long River of Song. There is not a single essay in this entire collection that I have not loved with all four chambers of my own heart. So again, I cannot encourage you enough to go check it out. As always, I will be linking to the book in the show notes, which you can find along with the transcript of this episode on my website at www.sydneygivenoli.com backslash podcast. And I'm always looking for your recommendations. If there's something that you've read that you find or found particularly moving or connective or beautiful, transform, like transformational, please just tell me about it. Uh, so Catherine Sullivan is a reader from my email list, and she reached out in response to an email I sent a couple of weeks ago asking for examples of books or poems that touched my readers' lives in a powerful way. And this is what she said. It's so great. Um, so this is Catherine. There's a line from Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's novel, Americana, that I hung on my wall right after reading and still look at every morning. The quote, this was love, to be eager for tomorrow. And she says, for me, this line encapsulates the giddiness of being really in love with not only a person, but also with a hobby, job, place, or even with yourself. To be excited at the thought of continuing on, spending more time with that person, place, thing, and seeing how things might unfold. It immediately described so simply all the times I felt love in my life and the purpose and energy this love has given me to do the things I've done. That's so great. Catherine, thank you for this. I loved Ngozi Adichie's novel, Purple Hibiscus, and have had Americana on my list for ages. So you have given me the nudge I needed to drink in her words. So Americana is now um, on my nightstand as I speak. So please share something you've read that's touched your world with me because I would love to share it. So again, you can always find me on my website, www.cindygivinoli.com. That is spelled C-I-N-D-Y-G-I-O-V-A-G. N-O-L-I. I know it's a monster. Um, and you can find me on social media with the handle at Cindy Givinoli. So I will see you back here next week with an excerpt from Octavia Butler's amazing novel, Parable of the Sower. I can't wait. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word. Say the Word.